0: So I went. Uh, I went to the Piggly Wiggly last week because it's not our usual shopping place, but we go there every now and then. But I went there because I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but over the weekend there was a massive power outage on the entire southern end of Sanford, and it knocked out, uh, it knocked out Walmart, and knocked out Lidl, it knocked out all the way up to Lowe's and uh, Aldi that area. Mm-hmm. how did um, we not hear about that well i heard about it but i i didn't get any like official information about it but uh what it did though at walmart it knocked out the entire store for no telling how long long enough to where they had to use plastic tarp to cover all the meat and all the frozen foods and everything oh, like wow. that and long enough to where eventually when the power came on, they still had the tarps over it and they had announced that all that meat and all that chicken was not to be sold. So wow. <laughs> there's there's no telling how long that that that, that took place and how much um, you know how much food it damaged. So uh, back to the Piggly wiggly. We I went to the piggly wiggly to to pick up meat to pick up some, uh, cold items that I wasn't able to get down there. And, uh, um, and discovered that uh, I'm missing out by not going there more often that, uh, it's, uh, (laughs) um, competitive price wise, but, uh, uh, you know, I just always overlook it and, and I shouldn't, I need to add that to my, to my rotation, but, uh, But I will say this about all grocery right now is I don't understand um, the reason. I mean, I know the overall reason why and it's supply chains and all that, but I don't understand how one week it is beef that is no longer available anywhere. And then the next week it's chicken. And then the next week um, you have this cream cheese shortage. It's like every trip to the grocery store right now is an adventure of what is remaining, what isn't remaining, um, what am I going to find this week? And, uh, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if this is another result of the pandemic or what, but it's, it's become just one of those things to where grocery shopping is now kind of a treasure hunt and we have to go to multiple places every week now just to get an entire list put together. I don't know if you guys are going through that or not.
1: Um, not really. I, I was going to the Lidl a lot when it first opened, but. You know, there's just certain things that you don't get there. So now I feel like I'm going there for specific things, and doing the rest of my shopping at Piggly Wiggly and Lowe's. And
0: I think with Lidl, um, you're really limited on on the variety, but but if they have what you need, um, yeah, the pr- the price difference is 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 amazing. I was gonna say ridiculous, but it's amazing the price difference on on some things there but
2: yeah, you know, we get a lot of our fresh fruit and things from Lidl and it's the quality is just fantastic. Um, and, and yeah. the meat as well, especially if we buy uh, a rack of ribs or a half a rack of ribs, you know, you know, you don't, it didn't cost you an arm and a leg to buy a uh, half a rack of ribs. Right. You know? So, um, uh, uh, good place to go, but, uh, I've never been really big on the pig, but you guys talked me into it. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm headed there. I'm headed there now. So.
1: (laughs) Well, um, we have. February 2022 edition out with great in-depth reporting from Billy on the issue of dom- domestic violence.
0: Yeah, it's kind of what I do. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding. Um, no, uh, we, we had wanted to do that story for, for a couple months. We had been talking about it uh, just because we had a reader who asked us to look into numbers and everything, but it was really that the murder of the of the Sanford woman, um, allegedly at the hands of her, her husband, that that's the story that led to the Amber Alert and, and the arrest in Tennessee. Um, it was really that story that kind of got me off the couch and made me go ahead and, and start, you know, <laughs> doing the research and doing the story. And, uh, what was, what was, um, I, I guess the, the reason again, that the, that I went ahead and went with the story is when when we were doing the, the story about the arrest, I went back and looked at his uh, criminal history. And um, he had a pretty lengthy criminal history, but a lot of it was, uh, you know, petty theft or bad checks or um, this and that. And he even had a, a pretty lengthy prison stay for a bank robbery. But what really caught my eye was just last year, he had an arrest for um, domestic abuse. And strangulation, and and I got the police records from it, and um, the victim was his his wife. And then a, a year later, you know, um, he's allegedly, uh, you know, murdered her. But what um, when I started talking to the staff at Haven and Joey Mosley, who's the director at Haven, uh, she said strangulation is a huge indicator that um that the violence is going to get worse in a relationship and, and a lot of a lot of uh abusers will turn to strangulation because it's a power thing you know you're you're you've got someone's life in your hands literally um, you're taking away their their breathing and and you're doing it very slowly but also it's a form of abuse that doesn't leave marks, that doesn't, um, it doesn't, it isn't really easy for uh, medical staffs to, to find out unless they're told to look for this. So, um, so it it was his previous arrest for strangulation. It was the things that they said about strangulation that uh, kind of made me tie the, the the story that appeared in the rant and and the arrest. so I didn't want everybody to think that I was making a stretch by taking this this one case and doing a whole domestic violence um you know uh story about it 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 was very um intentional because of the uh the strangulation connection there the
1: strangulation thing is I mean there's a specific statute that responding officers are sort of told to look for and if there's evidence of strangulation it automatically triggers that charge um so i mean that tells you how how serious the law takes
0: that and yeah um and she had statistics of of um you know of uh previous arrests that dealt with strangulation and um abusers who are later uh accused of homicide or arrested for homicide if you go back that strangulation thing is is more often than not part of their criminal history like it, it, it it's a telling factor that leads to this and it, it's um it's just not something that like you said that law enforcement takes very lightly
1: i can remember that you know all the years i worked at the herald i've covered the i, I was the police reporter and Wrote that uh, police blotter every day and you'd just, you'd see so much of it in there. And then after leaving the Herald, I worked at Haven as a grant writer for about a year and I didn't, I didn't deal with victims or anything like that, but the, the leadership at the time did encourage me to attend um, a conference or two of these organizations that combat domestic violence and sexual violence and just being at those conferences, the things you see are I mean, it's just shocking how just how prevalent this stuff is. and
0: yeah, know, the work they do is really eye opening. Yeah. I thought it was just a shelter or it was just a hotline, but the they go well beyond just that they they accompany victims to to trials. they um they walk them through the steps to gain independence it's not just leaving your spouse it's it's or, or your your partner it's um, it's this really detailed step-by-step thing um, you know often the, these victims are tied to that spouse or to that partner be through financial constraints or through this and that and it you know the easy answer is just leave but it's really not an easy answer And, um, and Haven, uh, of Lee County goes a long way in, in laying out a plan for, for these victims. And then a lot of times they have to do it in secrecy. If you just go to the Haven website, it, uh, at the top, right, it has an escape button and it leads to a Pinterest page. And, uh, I found that to be both, um, interesting and sad because, if, if if the partner walks in on the spouse as they're on this site, they have to have that quick escape um, and it takes them to Pinterest, but also they're, um, they're advised to do all that searching on private browsers to um, delete all phone records when doing this, because uh, and a, if an abuser catches wind, that this is happening and that they're coming up with a plan to, to escape that 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 doesn't lead to a very good very good results right so, right it's yeah it was um you know uh, i mean i i knew going into it that the, the numbers would be uh high opening and that um and that this this is not an easy story to tell but what's really sad about it is with all the great work that haven does and with all the great work that um a lot of volunteers and in the community do to, to help victims. Uh, the numbers aren't going down. Um, and, uh, it says a lot for, for these victims to have support, but really what you need to get to is the, is the crux of the problem is, is why do, why do partners abuse other partners? And it's not just men on women. Um, they have a lot of men who are, um, who are victims? Whether it's through straight or you know gay relationships, and um and you know they deal with a lot of families because if, if a spouse is being abused, often the, the child is being abused as well. But or at the very least, witnesses it. Oh yeah, yeah, it's terrible. But yeah, there, it's great that there's this help, but it's still it's sad and it's frustrating that that it's still a huge problem, just a huge problem, and there doesn't seem to be any anything being done to um to stop it and i but then you ask well what can you do i don't know (laughs) i don't know it starts very early in life
1: well richard you've had a big run of stories in the last few days just on on like government news Um, the thing that jumped out at me and this was the subject of our editorial for the month of February was the uh, the commissioners picked a designer for the sports complex and you know I was under the impression that this would take longer but your reporting indicates that you know by this time next year we'll probably have a an
2: approved design and, and work being done is does that sound right well, this time next year, construction should be underway, unless there's some unless there's run into some major unforeseen roadblock, uh, you know that that pops up between now and then. But they've actually moved pretty rapidly with this. Uh, the voters approved this back in November of 2020, and the commissioners then began the negotiation for uh, purchasing a part of that tract. Part of it was going to be donated to the county, uh, a smaller portion of it, but then the larger tract had to be purchased. So uh, they negotiated with, the, the, the I think it was a, a family uh, that um, were heirs, and they got that done last August. And so they had, uh, uh, it turned out to be the same uh, company, McAdams, out of Durham. To do the due diligence work to make sure, and that's the kind of thing you do. You know, land development, as I said in the story, land development is a risky business, and especially the bigger tract, the bigger the tract of land, the riskier your investment is. And so they went in and did all of the, the, you know, the soil sampling, you know, and and all those kinds of things that say, and they come back and say, yes, you can do this. Uh, so they, they've they done that over the last few months. And then in December, the commissioners put out a uh, request for bids uh, on the design phase of that uh, uh, design of the multi-sport complex. They received six uh, bids back. And uh, from what uh, uh, the, the information was, is that McAdams was head and shoulders above the rest. And so uh, they're going to be going through a listening phase now for a few months, and they're going to be talking to, you know, of course, they'll be talking to people in the community you know, about what they want and what they'd like to see there. But there's also other parts of what they'll be doing is you uh, this listening phase. And then they'll be going through the design uh, section, and that's about a six-month period, and that's really the big chunk of what it is that uh, of McAdams uh, work will be. And then there's the permitting that takes place. You got to get all the construction permits and all the hookups and uh, there's negotiations that have to take place with DOT about uh, uh, roadway connections. And, you know, that site is there at the um, right at the intersection of uh, 421 and Broadway road. So uh, I think that there's a highway, there's a highway divider right there, and that's going to have, there's going to, to be a cut made through there, in order to get into where uh, the complex is going to be. So that's all going to, have to be worked out, and then at the last bit, you know, all those construction documents have to be signed and properly, uh, you know, get to their their rightful. Uh, permanent resting places and so forth so it's going to be an exciting process if you know uh it's conceivable that you know we could have something like this done you know two years from now we could have uh you know we three could be out there kicking soccer balls around you know yeah. um, uh, on some cold sunday afternoon but it's really exciting because um I, you know the 58 percent of the public approved the bond referendum to purchase the land for, for this complex because they felt like it was such a need. That's a really high number because usually when you have a a bond referendum, you know, your numbers are kind of low and people don't want to spend the millions of dollars it takes for public improvements. But, um, there's a lot of confidence in this project and, um, the, the commissioners have done well with, um, Some other park improvements, the Kiwanis Children's Park, uh, the O.T. Sloan project that they've done, the the Horton Park that uh, was just reopened not long ago. And now they're doing phase two of that that will open the pool back in July. So I think that they've got a lot of good things going for them. And I I don't know about uh, uh, everyone else, but I'm really excited for them. And I think this is going to be something good for everybody to look forward to. One thing that jumped out at me in your story was,
1: and I'd love to see us dig into this more, um, is it was referenced that in order to be considered for these really big tournaments, you need to have about 2,000 hotel rooms, and Lee County's only got about 500. Um, I think that'll be changing soon. I mean, there's a hotel going up in the Northview area. There will be... B, I understand uh, plan, their plans for a hotel at the sports complex.
0: Is that is that hotel off of US one? Not the slowest construction project you've ever absolutely. seen in your life. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. It's yeah. like That's been I drive, of fifteen years. I drive yeah. that route almost every day, and um, it's like once a month you see maybe a new layer of metal or something. Yeah, <laughs> once it, once every six months you see another story it added to it. It's it's just the I, I thought for a long time they had stopped, and and maybe they did, but for whatever reason, it, it is the slowest. Like I think it, it's taken so long that the trees that they cleared out to make room for it have back. all started growing. All around yeah, it. they started by constructing those
2: stairwells, you know, and, and putting those up, you know, and now you can hardly see the stairwells because the yeah. trees are growing back. Yeah, I uh, that's a lot of ground to make up. I mean, that's we're fifteen hundred rooms short. Yeah. And, you know, sure, we can draw on, you know, some things down in Southern Pines and Aberdeen, uh, maybe over to Fuquay and other places. But that's a challenge. Um, So and and something that wasn't talked about, it was just up on the slide and it caught my eye. And I thought, wow, that's a big number. To
0: Somebody's going to have to pay attention to that. So I'm a I'm a soccer parent now and we've um, I've got two boys that are that play traveling soccer and the longest we've driven for a tournament i would say is new burn and and that was a day trip and it was uh, we we drove in the morning drove back that would have been the one time i would have said i oh, we're just gonna stay stay the night but we didn't um that's a hall but i think it no it was very much a hall but most of our, most of their trips are to um greensboro or holly springs or raleigh or things like that but when you you go to a place like fayetteville and their soccer fields are kind of out in this pasture and, and it's not really well maintained and all that. And then you go to a place like Wilson that has the brand new facilities, the, mm-hmm. the AstroTurf fields, it's just such a huge difference. And I think the places like Wilson are drawing just thousands and thousands of kids and families a year because they're able to host these large scale, these large scale tournaments. And, um, and I don't know if Sanford facility is going to be near the size of that, but just, they will have the ability to start hosting these things. And um, I think the hotel thing will be okay to begin with because Sanford is a day trip for most of the state, you know, it's not a, but it's when you have the multi-day tournaments that you do need the yep. the overnight stay capabilities. And, um, and that's where you really get the the money and the tourism dollars. So so, yeah, um, but now that I'm a part of this, uh, <laughs> this cult, I guess, um, I, I finally and and I've been supportive of this since the whole idea came up a few years ago. But but now that I'm living the life, I guess uh, I see that this is long, long needed for Sanford and um, just our, our overall facilities for for youth sports around here are um I know a lot of people work hard to keep these fields maintained and I don't mean to say that the fields are bad but just the overall facilities and the presentation and the the wow factor and all leaves a lot to be desired and Sanford is by no means a place where um, that's capable of of hosting any kind of tournament like that so. Um, The thing that excites me the
1: most about it is the the Sanford spinners will have you know like a a full-time legit home they'll use it for their games in the summer and you know that the, where they played it at, at Southernly high school was has been nice in a pinch but to think that you know, they'll be doing that again this year i guess but depending on the speed of construction by 2023 they could be playing in a you know a dedicated baseball stadium and that just that just seems like a really cool thing for sanford Our guest this week is Dr. Raj Swamy with uh, Central Carolina Hospital. He's a cardiologist there. Um, thank you for joining us. It's, uh, I, as I understand, it's 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 heart month and um, you've got some some heart stuff to talk about. So so thanks for joining us. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your background in cardiology and how long you've been with CCH and, and all that stuff?
3: Well, thank you so much for this opportunity and for having me. So... Um, I am an interventional cardiologist uh, by training. I did my med- uh, my undergraduate work at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, and then spent eleven years doing my medical training at the University of Chicago uh, in in Chicago, Illinois. Oh, wow. I worked for seven years in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I'm originally from, and then came back to the Triangle about three to four years ago. At which time, I share um, my practice time, uh, mostly at CCH Central Carolina Hospital in Sanford, but also at Duke University uh, in Durham.
2: Okay, great.
1: And tell us a little bit about your practice. I mean, cardiologist to a lot of people means heart doctor, but what is, um, I mean, go go in a little more detail about the sort of day to day of a cardiologist.
3: Absolutely. So uh, as a cardiologist, I do specialize in, in heart and vascular care. So the Heart is the most critical organ that many people think of in their body, as well as vasculature, meaning the blood vessels that supply the the heart, the legs, the neck, our entire body. I spend uh, a bulk of my time taking care of clinical cardiology patients that have a variety of medical problems, such as congestive heart failure, heart arrhythmias, such as atrial fibrillation, or coronary artery disease blockages of the heart vessels. As an interventional cardiologist, my main specialty, however, is in treating blockages of blood vessels. My main specialty is either treating blockages of blood vessels to the heart uh, with stents and other techniques, as well as treating blockages in the blood vessels of the legs, peripheral arterial disease. Those patients oftentimes suffer with pain in their legs when they walk, all the way down a spectrum to wounds on on their legs that are not healing, particularly in patients with advanced diabetes, smoking history, kidney disease. Okay. Okay. And Um, we offer all of those services here at Central Carolina Hospital in Sanford.
1: Okay, great. Um, and one of the things that was explained to me was that it looks like there's a couple of, uh, a couple of things that are firsts for the area. Um, I don't know what you wanted to talk about first, but, um, my understanding is that you're the first team in anywhere in the Carolinas to use the, this biomimics 3d vascular stent system. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that and what makes it unique?
3: Absolutely. So um, I think one of the highlights of, of this uh, opportunity to talk with the ramp podcast is to, to let the viewers and listeners in the area know that we're doing some of the top technologies and procedures right here in Sanford, North Carolina. So Biomimics is a laser cut specialty stent, which has a design that is made to be flexible within the blood vessels of our legs. This stent, by having this flexibility, is designed in a manner that it forms to the blood vessel once it's placed, rather than the standard rigid stents that are normally used to treat blockages in the legs. Our team here at Central Carolina Hospital uh, was the first implanting hospital in the Carolinas to use this technology. We've now done approximately 15 patients and have seen uh, very good results in those patients um, after their procedures. And what um,
1: what would make this biomimics technology uh, better for a patient or or what what might a patient be suffering from that would make this technology, you know, a good a good procedure for them to undergo.
3: It's a great question. So. Peripheral arterial disease as a whole is very underrepresented in the United States. There's approximately 20 million patients that suffer from this condition, yet probably on average, based on studies, only about one to two million of those actually get treated. The majority of patients, their symptoms are underrecognized or underappreciated by the patient and/or their medical providing team. This stent in particular offers advantages to conventional treatments with stents that are also metal-based because oftentimes the area that patients that have blockages in their legs is most commonly around the knee area. The area around the thigh into the knee often requires the most flexibility. If you can imagine your knee is an area where you have a flexion extension joint versus the main portion of your thigh. Mm-hmm. So because we notice that patients with peripheral arterial disease oftentimes have blockages in that location, having a stent that offers flexibility is, is deemed to be most superior in those locations. So it's a location-based stent strategy, but in doing these procedures for now almost 10 years, and we do a very high volume at Central Carolina Hospital. We recognize that this location is actually more common than, than many people recognize. So that's why we wanted to have the best technology available to our patients. And we were able to get this stent into our hospital approved through all the you know appropriate committees and now being able to be used regularly.
1: Sure. And the fact that this is, you know, the only, uh, you're the only practice offering this service in the Carolinas right now. What does that mean for, for Central Carolina Hospital? And what does it mean for, you know, just the Sanford and Lee County community as a whole to have this here?
3: Well, I think it builds upon um, many things. There's There are various technologies in the cardiovascular space, but even in other specialties. And I think this underscores uh, just the value that local hospitals have in the community. And what I think it offers, not only does it offer our patients in Lee County, the top of the line treatments, but hopefully this also allows uh, families and patients within Lee County to know that they have a solid hospital here that can support many of their needs. Do I think this is a technology that patients will come from other counties and other areas within the Carolinas to come to Sanford to get our treatment? I don't know about that yet, but what I do know, is that with the procedural skill and the team that we have here and their skills, we can, we can really provide top-notch care for these patients.
1: Well, it sounds like it's been, I don't, I don't know what what constitutes popular in terms of a a specific, excuse me, specific procedure, but you know, the email that um, the hospital administration sent was that you had just done the first one and you just mentioned having now done 15. In how long a time period has that 15 procedures taken place? And I mean, would you deem that a, a popular procedure?
3: So uh that's a great question. So uh we've done these 15 procedures in an approximate two-month time period. Okay. Uh, based on my personal background and training and experience, as well as the team that I work with here that are, you know, well-trained senior staff members, you know, the learning curve for us uh happened very quickly. Sure. So after case, you know, one, two, three, we were up and ready to go. You know, uh, I think all of us here at Central Carolina and the cardiac catheterization lab uh, would take credit for, um, you know, having a high, high uh, acuity uh, area, but also having a high ability to learn these technologies based on our experiences. I think also because Lee County, which many people may or may not know, is one of the highest rates of peripheral arterial disease and then amputations, meaning loss of limb, sure. whether it be digits of the of the foot or even more extensive a below the knee amputations, one of the highest amputation rates in North Carolina. So as a result of that, you know, we have the patients in our community that we can take care of. So I think part of it is, you know, the teamwork we have here at Central Carolina Hospital, part of it is the patient population we have. And part of it is just the confidence that we can provide the best care in the community and not have to send the patients in Sanford to necessarily Greensboro, Durham, Raleigh, uh, Pinehurst, Southern Pines for care that we can provide. Sure, sure. How, um, I'm trying to look for the right word,
1: but obviously it's going to be a serious procedure. But how, how involved is this procedure? Is this an outpatient deal? Is this something where you're going to be in the hospital for a couple of days? What does it entail for the patient? Absolutely.
3: For the majority of patients, the procedures that we perform for peripheral arterial disease management are same-day procedures, mm-hmm. meaning if a patient is coming from home, they'll come in the morning, and they'll generally go home and by lunchtime or early afternoon. As you can imagine, patients that come in with active leg infections and leg wounds may require more of a multidisciplinary care approach where they would require antibiotic therapy, aggressive wound care therapy, maybe debridements and surgical therapies. So those patients may require a hospitalization and and a hospital stay. But to perform the procedure, which is called a peripheral angiogram, which is another which is a medical term to say we would inject x-ray dye into the blood vessels to visualize them and see if there are blockages, that procedure is a one hour or less procedure uh, to visualize the blood vessels and then subsequently treat the blockages approximately one to one and a half hours.
1: Okay. I, I wanted to shift gears a little bit because it was also mentioned that, um, and this is a little bit of a mouthful for me, but the, that you performed the first coronary orbital atherectomy uh, in Sanford on I think it was january twenty seventh, late January anyway. Can you talk about that and and you know what that is?
3: and um, absolutely go ahead. yeah. So to give you some uh, clarity, orbital atherectomy or coronary atherectomy as a procedure is a procedure that's done when patients have severe blockages and calcified blood vessels. Oh, wow. So generally, blood vessels are blocked by cholesterol plaques. Over time, however, vessels can also be blocked with calcium deposits. Those calcium deposits are very hard. Because they're very hard, it's difficult to sometimes open up blockages with standard balloons, and then subsequently place stents to keep blockages open. Atherectomy is a technique where you use generally some form of a drill in this case, we use a drill that spins 360 degrees on an orbit and goes up to 120,000 RPMs to shave or debulk or remove, of sorts, that calcium. By removing that calcium, that allows then balloons to inflate properly and then tends to be placed. So that's the technique of atherectomy. It is a higher level considered complex cardiac coronary intervention. And as a result of that, it's oftentimes reserved or only performed at larger hospital centers that have cardiac surgical backup. Okay. So for instance, I've been doing this procedure for 10 years in Pittsburgh and also at Duke University in Durham, a large cardiac center that has multiple cardiologists, cardiac surgeons, et cetera. But this was the first case that was done in a hospital in North Carolina that does not have those backup cardiac services. So at Central Carolina Hospital in Sanford, many people on the podcast may not be aware that we do heart stents or coronary stents, but we do and we've been doing that for about four years. But now we're even doing more complex cardiac techniques here in Sanford for some of the similar reasons that you wanna offer any procedure in the community. If it can be done safely and effectively, why would a patient want to travel to you know, a larger hospital that's a distance away if they right. can have the same procedure done by the same skilled team like the team we have at Central Carolina Hospital. So we were the first hospital doing that without a surgical backup team in, right. in North Carolina. So it, I just want to clarify, unlike the mimic stent, this procedure is being done regularly at the duke universities the unc chapel hills you know the wake meds etc but not done at other smaller hospitals in our area like chatham hospital you know like central harnet hospital etc
1: right and so again it's just it, like the like the biomimics technology it's just another value add for for patients in this area that they don't have to you know. To, Deal with the the going to traveling and the bureaucracy of a different hospital
3: that can all be done here. Absolutely, and it this this is a specialized technique. So you know, not every interventional cardiologist is certified and or trained in this technique or procedure. So it also, unlike potentially the stent in the legs, the biomimic stent. This is a procedure that because it's more complex and specialized, it even I think adds an extra star to central Carolina hospital that we're capable of doing this.
1: Okay. And the whole, um, reason that the hospital reached out to have you on was that, you know, this is, this is heart month. Um, do you want to just talk about, uh, again, going back to general, uh, you know, generally speaking, being a cardiologist, what should people of, you know, of varying ages be thinking about with regards to their heart?
3: Absolutely. So, you know, this being Heart Month, we, we want to advocate uh, for patients and all of our friends and family ways to live a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, in the cardiac world, there's various medications people take for high blood pressure, for high cholesterol, for diabetes. But all the studies that we've uh, followed for many years are now pointing to one key thing. And that's the one thing I'd like your listeners to know is that daily exercise or at least aerobic exercise, meaning exercise that's getting your heart rate up to reasonable levels, 30 minutes a day, three to four times per week has now been shown to be maybe the most effective thing people can do to help their heart health. People ask me in the office setting, what should I do for my diet? Should I take an aspirin every day? You know, I smoke, but I don't smoke that much. I try to get people to quit smoking. I try to tell people, you know, data on aspirin is mixed, but most people would say a baby aspirin 81 milligrams is beneficial. And I try to tell people about their diet. One thing I can advocate for everyone listening is, is to get daily exercise, that would be the best thing they can do. And that's as simple as walking. It doesn't have to be joining a gym. It doesn't have to be buying a treadmill. It's just simply walk.
1: Well, look, I really appreciate you coming on. This is all all very interesting. And I learned some things about central Carolina hospital day that I was not aware of. So is there anything that you want to close with or, uh, or add or something that maybe I haven't asked you about?
3: Well, I would just like to maybe add this piece. If you find you want to put it in, uh, the cardiac uh, team at Central Carolina Hospital is doing uh, some of the highest level of cardiac and vascular procedures in the triangle. We have an excellent team. Stacy Holder is our cath lab manager and leader of a, a diverse group of uh, technicians, nurses, and um, sonographers, meaning vascular and echocardiographic techs. So I just want to put a plug out there for all the listeners. Uh, We're here to help all patients in Lee County. And if you need any cardiovascular needs, please reach out to us at Central Carolina Hospital.
1: Billy, you also had a uh, story about um, the robotics program at one of the... uh, at one of the charter schools that I, I thought was a pretty cool story
0: yeah it was neat um i i've written robotic stories at campbell because of our engineering program and uh and campbell hosts a or has hosted a a statewide tournament and what's cool i don't know if any of you have ever witnessed any of these robotics competitions but they're done on this um you know about a basketball court sized uh, playing field and uh, each team um, can control their robot and the objective is to take certain items that are laying around and put them in a bucket you get points for doing it but it's um, there's a lot of strategy that goes into it a lot of teamwork that goes into it and uh, and a lot of defensive strategy um, not only are you out there trying to perform these tasks but you're trying to do it while other robots are out on the on the course and so a lot of it is knocking stuff out of their hands or running into them and um it's not like the battle of the bots thing that that i think espn used to or mtv used to right. televise, but it's more of a um you know when, it, when i say robot it's a four-wheeled scooper pretty much that with maybe a robotic arm here and there but it's a lot of scooping a lot of dumping a lot of arm um, but they also have to build them to go over certain terrains to go over walls or through walls or up walls. And um, it's, it's pretty cool. And so um, Ascend Leadership Academy had started one of these and in their first competition at Elon, they got second place and they were really excited about it. But uh, the, I guess the coolest thing about the story for me was um, I'm not real familiar with our charter schools here and we're starting to get more of them. So it was good to, see one up close like that and um uh, ascend has about i don't know 100 kids per class so maybe 300 400 kids in the high school is what they told me and that's not bad that's uh that's about the size of the school i went to in texas but it was a public school um and i know you got mina on the south side of town and then you've got the central um what's it called central carolina academy coming Mm -hmm on the north side of town yeah so uh that's i mean that's something we definitely need to i think look at um when i say look at is i think a lot of people don't understand the um what a charter school is how they're funded what um what the benefits are of them um the negative impacts they they can have on public schools uh there, there are a lot of positives to charter schools i'm not meaning to 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 bash them by any means, but they do impact public schools a great deal as well. And I think that's something um now that we've got two, at least two with a third on the way. And these aren't just tiny schools. They're 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 getting a fair amount of students. Um I think it's time that we kind of answer the question what is a charter school? <laughs> so.
1: well we've only got a few minutes left, but and and this story isn't out yet, but Richard um you attended well you 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 virtually attended the the most recent school board meeting right and I did yes the, the I think yeah. the, the news should surprise no one that um masks are still required in our public schools for another month but did you have any other impressions from from that school board meeting that you wanted to talk about
2: yeah i mean it, it's a tough choice for for them because uh yeah they've been masking since august and everybody's tired of it and um you know it's, we all want to get back to you know whatever normal used to be but um the entire state all 100 counties are still in high states of transmission and realistically until that that goes down the the masks are going to have to stay but you know um there's another issue going on at the school board meeting and and one that has been going on probably for the last three or four or five meetings and that is uh folks who are they have a, a section uh, a, a portion of the meeting where anybody can walk into and sign up and they can talk for three minutes about anything and it's the public comment section mm-hmm. and um you know in uh A perfect world, I suppose. You know, you your remarks would be about something that's going on in the school system that you want to bring to the attention of the school board. And lately, that has just taken a a turn down a dirt road, and now it seems like it's going down a rabbit hole because uh, what's it's turning into is the same people are showing up to speak every single month and they say the same things. And uh, six people, for example, this past, at the latest meeting, six people uh, signed up and spoke during the public comment period. Three of those six are candidates for school board. Um, And they made no bones about the fact that they were candidates for, for public office. In fact, one of them said, I am so and so candidate for school board. You're in Lee County. And, you know, if, if, you know, that's not something, you know, that you you do um, when you're addressing a, a, a public body in a public meeting, you know, you certainly couldn't get away with that in a courtroom. Um, and, right. um, but, uh, yeah, and, and it's only a matter of time, I think, before, um, you know, this, this practice gets, uh, um, addressed to an end. (laughs) Yeah. It comes to an end. Well, there, there are
1: policies for this public comment and I haven't, and
2: and they're breaking.
1: Yeah. I haven't looked up the, the exact policy recently, but I know that at least some of these practices are, are, um, you know, explicitly, uh, not allowed in the policy, like addressing individual board members, um, you know, refusing to give your address, that sort of thing. Those things are by policy are required to be preserved in the record. And, you know, for, for some reason, that's not that that that's that stuff's being allowed. But I'll, I'll be interested to see
2: if that continues. I, I am going to kind of to go out on a limb here and say that it's not going to last much longer. I think that uh, the the chair of the school board her patience with with this is starting to wear really thin, and uh, I think it's just a matter of time before before she uh, brings the curtain down on this kind of thing. But you know, it's you know again, it's um, uh, it's it's hard to see what the purpose is uh, of somebody just standing up there and listening to themselves talk for three minutes uh and most of these people are, are uh, they they're they don't speak from prepared remarks there are a few that do but you know they're unprepared by and large they they tend to ramble um they they pull facts out of thin air uh or what they call facts you know and, and it's um you know, for a while when I was writing these stories, you know, I would say, well, you know, this person said this, said it, and it's right now it's it's not news anymore. Um, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's just people talking to hear themselves and a, and a very small audience, I think, uh, to be heard. And, um, and it's, um, it's a misuse of, of, what is intended to be an avenue of addressing the board on important matters it's not there for you to question members of the board or to berate them or to uh, you know to the, for those kind of things and uh, but um it's 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 kind of sad to see that sort of thing taken on but you know we're we're uh, about to get back into political season here very shortly the Supreme Court yep. uh, in North Carolina overturned the the voting maps um, again, and so uh, but the primary dates are fixed, and they will take place in March. And filing for public office will resume again the last week in February. And whether any of us like it or not, you know it's going to happen. So we might as well just kind of hang on and just see what what takes place and um um, i always say that whether you like politics or not it's still the most fun game in town oh yeah uh, oh yeah so uh, so hang on to your hats it's about to start